I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to IntroVets Podcast. Hello. Today we have a special guest. Dr. Lori Fonkin is back on the podcast. Yay. Dr. Fonkin is a licensed psychotherapist with 30 years experience serving individuals and groups in supporting health and well-being. She spent 13 years serving veterinary professionals. Twelve of those years was at Colorado State University, where she directed counseling programs for DVM students. She's the owner of Whole Vets LLC, which offers consulting and programs to veterinary professionals. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Funkin. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you too. I I actually go back and listen to last year's episode with you a lot. <laughs> like it's, it's one of my favorite episodes. It's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that was a fun. I, I really enjoyed doing that one with y'all. Is there any uh, updates since we last talked with you? Anything new? Well, yes. I retired from Colorado State University in January of 2021. So I am full-time, part-time, whatever you want to say, focused on my uh, work with Whole Vets LLC and expanding that work out. I recently joined the board of the Veterinary Hope Foundation which was uh, an organization it's, it's set up by veterinarians and really we're looking at offering uh, support to practitioners and veterinary professionals, obviously in the area of mental health and well-being. And so we're just in the creative phase of uh, beginning to create some support groups, looking at other kinds of needs or wants for the profession, doing some focus groups. Um, so that we can provide something that's really beneficial and needed and wanted and useful to the profession, especially over the, I don't remember when we spoke last, but year with COVID and all the changes and uh, the transitions from clients being maybe a little bit more disgruntled or... <laughs> upset or distraught, those things seem to continue to grow. Those needs continue to grow to support the profession in some way so that we can see sustainability and, and you know, enjoyment and fulfillment in veterinary medicine. So the Veterinary Hope Foundation is looking towards doing its part to support that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's so exciting to have a therapist who specializes just in treating veterinarians. I mean, that's that's amazing. Like, I think that's groundbreaking. Has there ever been a therapist doing that before? Like, I, I'm not aware of one, but like, that's amazing. Yeah, a lot of my veterinary mental health professional colleagues have been working in their own areas. Mostly, we've had a really solid group in veterinary education Because it's been a little bit more easy to connect through our universities and AAVMC. I do see the veterinary social work program at the University of Tennessee is really strong. And they are training and certifying folks, social workers, to work in the veterinary profession. And more and more of those are going into corporate or small practices and providing services to uh, people that work there or the clients. So I think you will see a growth in professionals serving in particular the veterinary community, whether it's social workers, therapists, counselors, coaches, uh, it's really expanding. That's so interesting and exciting to hear. I mean, that is that is great. That is so great. We asked Dr. Funkin back on the podcast primarily so that we could talk uh, more about introversion. Uh, we have talked a little bit about introversion on the podcast previously, but Dr. Funkin, let's just review. What is an introvert? I'd like to start by saying I came across an amazing book by Jen Graneman. And we can put this, I think, in the notes, maybe. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. called The Secret Life of Introverts. Yes, this is a great book. Have you seen that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. right? uh-huh. And so I was really pleased to find that. And as an introvert myself, I thought I really knew myself. And some of the things that she 
talked about made me reflect on even back to childhood and things that I didn't realize were elements of my introversion. I, I really did think there was something wrong with me. And so oh. it was just refreshing to hear her saying that these are common things. There's nothing. And I didn't ever feel like I was totally flawed. But, you know, sometimes you think, man, there must really be something wrong with me if I feel like I need to go home and all my friends are still playing or whatever. I'd rather uh, do something different. So introvert, the secret lives of introverts. And then her uh, blog is introvert dear. And uh, and then, of course, Susan uh, Kane's book on quiet. Um, so those are some really good references and resources. I think it's important to recognize that there's a difference between being introverted and being shy. Uh, a lot of times I was called too sensitive or shy, and I think we tend to, to label maybe introverts as being shy when that might not be the case, because I'm not shy. I can get up and speak in front of big groups of people or do this, something like this. So I'm not shy, but I am still introverted. So that's a different thing. The other thing that's important to understand is that introversion is not a personality type. I think we get these uh, scales that we do, these, you know, Myers-Briggs or any kind of an inventory, a true colors or something like that. And those are maybe more personality types, personality styles. But an introversion is more of our temperament. Uh, we may be born with a more introverted temperament or it may be developed early on but it's not necessarily a personality. And that's important because uh, over time, sometimes our personality will change depending on what environment we're in, what we're doing, if we're a student, if we're a professional, uh, when we're a parent. So, but our temperaments tend to be pretty steady. And so if we see introversion as a temperament, um, it's about how one responds to stimulation, how we respond to stimulation. Uh, social stimulation, mental stimulation, emotional stimulation. Extroverts tend to crave stimulation, where introverts feel more alive uh, with less stimulation. Not that introverts can't be in stimulated situations, that's totally possible, but we tend to re-energize in a more quiet place or solitude or something like that where there's less stimulation. Whereas for an extrovert, they're really energized and fed by that external stimulation, whether it's social, emotional, mental, uh, physical. So that's basically uh, introverts tend to do better uh, with less stimulation. They thrive more in quieter environments or more, more low-key environments. For me, being in a quiet environment at least part of the day is extremely important. And if Things have been really hectic. I've had lots of people, lots of noise, lots of sometimes even bright light will make it a little bit worse. And that's continued for days on end. I get symptoms like uh, I get fatigued. I get physically sore and I just feel almost sick. And then if I have some time to recharge, that will go away. So that's so interesting. JJ mentioned a few weeks ago on the podcast that she didn't know about introversion until she was an adult. And she also experienced some feelings of like, I must be broken. JJ, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the feelings of being broken or not normal weren't helped by the fact that I was constantly being pressured by friends and family to you need to just get out of your comfort zone, get out of your shell. You just need to see that person there. They're trying to talk to you. You need to engage with them. And so those kind of things always made, they kind of reinforce that there's something wrong with me. And I have the uh, unfortunate, um, <laughs> I have the, uh, the shy version of introversion too. I don't, yeah. I don't do well in public speaking at all. I get very, very, just, it's not pretty. Also, you add in a nice, healthy dose of anxiety on top of it. It's sometimes I wonder if the anxiety came from the fact that I always felt like if I tried to do something that was outside my comfort zone and I either like bailed on it or didn't do it well, that I'm a failure. And so that makes me anxious about stuff. But yeah, I can remember 
very clearly the first time I was just reading something. I think it was on Facebook and they're like, here's the list of things that an introvert versus an extrovert. And I wasn't even 100% sure if I'd heard of the terms before. And I was in my 30s. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I've, I, there's a different group and there's people that, and I'm like reading the things and I'm like, oh my, wow. I'm like, all my boxes are, all these boxes are being checked. This is all exactly, okay, well, this explains a lot. Why the heck did I not know anything about this until now? This is a, this is um, it was, it was awesome to find out that there was this whole thing that defined kind of who I was a little bit, but it was also very, it kind of made me a little mad because I was like, see, there's not necessarily something wrong with me just because I don't want to go hang out with 30 people for five hours. That, that just, I don't know, it blew my mind, but it also made me a little bit angry. <laughs> yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, even, you know, getting that information, I, our culture is set up, and Susan Cain talks a lot about this in Quiet. Our culture is set up for extroverts. And it was really something that happened. Um, you know, a lot of books were how to influence, win friends and influence people, or, you know, all these different kinds of things. And I think people select for extroverts. It's easier to be around extroverts. Um, in some ways, because they are engaging and energetic and things like that. And if you think about veterinarians, one of my colleagues says that uh, veterinarians are highly sensitive people that work in very provocative environments. And I might have mentioned that in the last podcast. But if you put on top of that introversion and sensitivity and the provocative environment, and I, I do believe, and I haven't, I need to look into the research and see if anybody's even studied this, but a lot of the veterinarians that I've worked with had an early calling to veterinary medicine because of their connection with animals, because that animal was always there. They could be quiet with that animal. They could disappear into the woods with that animal. They could tell the animal stories or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if we have more introverts in the profession and their connection is to animals, which drew them into the profession... And then it's a highly provocative uh, environment. It's a, you know, a recipe for a lot of maybe challenges for introverts. And I don't know that this is important conversation because I don't know that people think through all that. Yeah. And so you're wanting to serve animals, which obviously are a comfort to you, but you're doing it in an environment where it's you're on all the time. People are asking you questions. You're the decision maker. Sometimes you're the HR person, the financial person, you know, the doctor, some some vets are the tech, you know, so you're playing all these different roles that demand that you're on constantly and you get completely depleted. And then, JJ, what you say is if you start to behave like you start to withdraw a little bit, people come up to you and say, what's wrong? Are you okay? Mm -hmm. You know, and so then you're feeling like, oh, I'm not even doing this right because people think there's something wrong with me. So it's very complex. And in looking at uh, the profession, I think it's going to be an important conversation going forward uh, for introverts to be able to say, you know what, I need to figure out how introverted I am. I need to be able to embrace that this is who I am, understand it understand what I need to be the most productive, which might be job sharing with an extrovert. So the extrovert can do this part and I do this part. So oh, figuring out what you really need <laughs> and then saying it out loud so that people understand it, which is, I know it's scary. I see your faces. You're like, <laughs> I made what? a face like, oh, what? Saying it out loud. Oh my God. <laughs> It's going to be important because it's almost like we need to educate those around us in what really does feed us and where our strengths lie. And then in a provocative environment, especially to be able to say, I need to have, we need to hire a couple of techs or a couple of people in the practice or a veterinarian or whatever it is that has a more extroverted personality so that we can share some of this so that I can get a break sometimes. And they thrive on that. So that uh, that was a lot in a short thing that we can digest. Yeah, I, I mean, I think all of that is really important, though, like mm -hmm. especially the idea of 
sort of identifying what your temperament is ahead of time and seeing like, does my career choice, is that going to realistically be like a good fit? Or if it's not going to be a good fit, what are the strategies I'm going to use to manage that? That's not a um, <laughs> any type of uh, thought or anything that I ever had <laughs> or, or that yeah. anyone ever even mentioned to me. Being self-aware that young is hard sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you, you, you don't even know what all the different options are. Like, you know, in my case, I was just like, everybody has the same thing. It's just some people have more to overcome, apparently, because, you know, I'm just going to have to work harder to be able to communicate with people and not be so uncomfortable doing it. And gosh, the idea that you can like have a partner that's in your in your job that they handle the extrovert parts, you handle the detailed introvert parts. <laughs> Man. That would be like JJ's I'm dream. <laughs> and I think that it happens early on if you look at, I'm just going to speak to veterinary students, that's my experience, but what we're looking for when we uh, are bringing them into the program are the academic, you know, strengths they have, which for introverts, high GPAs, a lot of research, doing well in those kind of more introverted things, studying classes and all of that. And then we have the shadowing experience and the other opportunities where we look at the hours that they have. And so we take a group of students that have maybe, I don't know how many, what percentage is introvert, but say maybe a higher percentage are introverted. But preparing for vet school is a lot of introverted activity. Yes, uh, it is. Internal thinking and things like that. So, and then we bring them into vet school where we, put them in small groups and we make them uh, work on teams and we may put them outside their comfort zone. And then we expect them to be able to do that. Now, of course, that's part of life. You have to learn how to do that. We don't accommodate and say right up front, let's look at this. This may be uncomfortable for some of you. It's good to learn how to do this because it's part of life. And yet figuring out what you need to recharge, re-energize, it's okay. You're not broken. Uh, and then as you're looking at your professional path, what are the things that are going to be the most supportive of you? Obviously, you're going to have to talk to people and do these things. But also then, what do you need to uh, take care of your well-being and your health outside of work or even in the workplace and being able to ask for that? So it's just interesting how this profession draws probably more introverts and um, highly sensitive people very compassionate people, very called people that want to serve and initially serve animals, right? But the humans on the other end of that leash or the phone or whatever. Uh, so how do we do that? How, how can we educate people and, and just share that this is just a reality? It's not a problem. It's just a reality we need to look at. Yeah. I this might at this point even be slightly off topic, but it just came back to me from something that you said a little bit ago. But a little bit earlier, you were mentioning that personality can change over time, but temperament usually doesn't. Can you give some examples of aspects of personality that might change over time? Obviously, there are fundamental things to our personality. I know for me on the the Myers-Briggs is one of the personality assessments they were using when I was in college yeah. and I really wanted to be an extrovert. So I answered all the questions as if I was <laughs> <laughs> because that was the preferred, you know, you want to mm -hmm. have me the life of the part, whatever. It was just, that was never me. <laughs> but when I was in graduate school, uh, I really had to work on my thinking aspect. So I was really um, more intellectual and, and some of those kinds of things. And there's times when I've had to be more outgoing and I can do that. So I just think our personality kind of develops over time based on our experiences and who we're with. And if we have trauma in our lives or, you know, some of the things that and the privileges that we have or the difficulties and challenges and trauma can really change how we go work through the world, you know, how we react to things and how, how we bring ourselves to the world. And so 
introversion, I think, is something that's always kind of underneath that or extroversion, either one. But a situation or an event or something can uh, affect how we show up. In, in There are certain personality disorders and personality characteristics that remain pretty constant, though, as well. Yeah. When we were talking about the importance of sort of, you know, looking at your career path and sort of looking at yourself and saying, like, where am I going to be the the most happy, like the most comfortable, what's going to fit the best? If elements of personality and and the things you mentioned, trauma, life events, things like that kind of change over time, is it also possible that the ideal career path for you is also going to change over time? How important is it to sort of reevaluate from time to time? Like, is this still does this still need to be the plan how do i how, how do you go about looking at what uh, what you feel like you need and identifying this thing over here that that could probably fit with your goals a little bit better just that self reflective process of figuring out what's really fulfilling to me and so a lot of times we're able to identify the challenges that we're experiencing the challenges of our work environment uh, the challenges to us personally and professionally in that place, but also to look at the things that are really working well and and the things that we don't dread doing. You know, what are the parts <laughs> of our jobs that we really enjoy? What are the parts that we really do dread? And are there things that we just really don't want to do anymore at all? Uh, and so when, where do I feel like I get my best flow? You know, I just really get into it and I could do it for a long time. And I'm not a career specialist, but I have spoken with them. And I think there's this uh, concept called job crafting, which I love that idea of job crafting. And and it's really looking at these things about where am I in my professional life? Am I just beginning? What do I need? I think when, when we're just starting out, we just go forward pretty quickly and don't ask a lot of those questions. Right. (laughs) Because we need a job. (laughs) Yep. So... As we get further in, we can stop and ask some of those questions. What's most fulfilling? Do I, are there things I dread? What are the days that I just don't feel like going to work? What are the days that I jump out of bed and I can't wait to get in? Uh, what are What is happening? So it's a lot of self-reflection. And then knowing, for some people, they don't feel like they have the opportunity to make that change. They feel really trapped. And especially in the veterinary world, if we look at debt to income and student debt, I've talked to so many veterinarians that say, this isn't working for me, but I can't make a change because of, boom, you know, the debt, the family, the responsibility, the whatever it is. And that's a tough place to be, to feel trapped like that. So this job crafting is even if you're just doing it in your mind or on paper or for us introverts, you know, in your alone time, in your journal, to try and figure out reflectively what really does work for me. And I, there are other veterinarians that I know that say, I have got to be in the ER. I love the fast pace. I love the, you know, the unpredictability. I love the quick decision-making. And, you know, I'm wondering, I don't know. It'd be interesting to do some research if those folks maybe are more extroverted because that hmm. whole thing that all that stimulation in the ER feeds them and they thrive mm-hmm. on that. So it's just kind of getting to know yourself a little bit more. And as you were talking about personality, I started thinking about the Strength Finders, the Gallup Strength Finders assessment, which is really a good assessment of it rates you on what your strengths are. Oh. I can't remember how many there are, but it gives you your top five. So my number one is Relator, which makes total sense for the job that I do. Yeah. And um, so you can look at yourself and what your top strengths are. And then you look at your team and what their strengths are. And on our team, we had when I was at CSU, we had a diversity like I'm a relator. We had people that were strategizers. We had people that were problem solvers. We had people that could go out and market because they were more woo. They could get out there and sell. And so we looked at the strengths that we each brought to the table. And then we knew who to connect with or collaborate with on different things based off of their strengths. So I think all these elements could be helpful in looking at the whole, your whole team, who you are as a whole person uh, and how it all fits together. Yeah. The, um, that test that you mentioned, the, the strength finders test, is that something that 
regular people can just take, like online or something? Is it? Yeah, yeah man, I need that. Uh, JJ <laughs> needs to fill that out. Um. <laughs> I think you can. Uh, we gave it to all our students at orientation, so we just bought a packet of, oh, yeah. I don't know how many licenses for, let's say, 150 for a certain fee. And it's not exorbitant. The price is not that bad. Maybe $9 each. So you can take it online. It might cost you $15, but it gives you your strengths. And then if you do it with your team, it'll give a composite like chart of each team member and then their strengths. And so you can kind of see. And uh, then you can also look at the things that you rate the lowest on. And uh, like my woo would probably be pretty low. And the woo is like the person that can get out there and market and network and all that mine would probably be pretty low so it shows you the the other side too of the things that you probably don't want to spend a lot of time on because it's not speaking to your strengths but there's someone else on your team that's great at that and they may not be in the right position so yeah this gallup strength finders there's a lot of um, research on it books about it yeah it'd be another one to take awesome i love taking tiny quizzes and stuff (laughs) i probably will do it Uh, I definitely will be seeking that out because uh, I'm 45 and still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. That's a tough Help. one. <laughs> what are some special concerns when introverts work in jobs that require a lot of contact with the public? I think it's important to, first of all, be gentle with yourself and and accept that you're an introvert working in like I said, a provocative environment or maybe a chaotic environment where there's a lot going on. And, you know, it's going to be hard to go in and tell your whole team or everybody at work, hey, I'm an introvert, so this is hard for me. But maybe finding one ally, you know. And I would probably guess you might not be the only introvert on the team. So having an ally there. But just for for yourself to acknowledge that, yes, this is going to be exhausting, and this is why I'm not feeling well, or this is uh, why I have a headache, or why I just want to go sit in my office in the dark, and um, that's okay. First of all, just accepting that that this is my temperament, this is who I am. There's I'm not broken. There's nothing wrong with it. Here's all the things that I bring to the work environment that are super important. Like I'm an internal processor, so I don't make quick decisions. I can get through a crisis situation because I don't react. I just act. I think I act. I think I act. And so looking also at what you bring and what your strengths are, but being able to say, you know, the one thing that really helps an introvert is to have that quiet, alone processing time. And it's hard when you're in an environment where you have a full full load of appointments and then the emergencies that are calling in and somebody's out sick and it's just the workload in veterinary medicine is so high that this is going to be extremely challenging for introverts. Because if you're a little bit off and you push yourself too hard, then your your colleagues are going to be saying, what's wrong with you? And, you know, and then you feel worse. So it's just a... Um, a recipe for disaster sometimes because it's a spiral. So making sure that you're able to pause long enough to say, what do I need? Do I need to just go outside for 10 minutes or sit in my office in the dark or maybe just hide in the bathroom for 10 minutes in the dark, you know, (laughs) find a space. (laughs) And I wish I could say that not every day is going to be like that. That you can say, okay, this is today. This has been crazy and chaotic, but it's not every day. So I can do it today, but tomorrow will be maybe not quite as crazy and chaotic. The way things that I've heard things are going now, it's pretty busy all the time. And so that's another thing that creates that anxiety and stress is that tomorrow might not be any easier. So if you can find an ally, if you can ask for what you need, if you can say, hey, I just can't do one more wellness check right now. I'm kind of spent. Can you just this one for me and I'll do the ordering of the inventory or, you know, something that's more on your own alone. Uh, But that's going to take some communication and collaboration. If it's just you alone doing it, time, solitude, consideration, taking a day off, and I know that I can just see the veterinarians that are listening to this thing. Yeah, when can I do that? <laughs> That's hard. It's just hard. Mm-hmm. And yet 
I might have talked to you all last time about the self-care equation, and they talk about it in this introvert's book. I mean, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be there to help anyone else. You're going to burn out. You're going to run out of oxygen. And if you are not in the self-care equation, it's not going to get any better. We mentioned the self-care equation during the last episode, but will you just review that again real quick for us? Yep. So it's X is equal to or greater than Y. So it can look like algebra. X is equal to or greater than Y. And you, your health, your well-being is X. And Y is everyone and everything else. So to see X, you, your health and well-being as equally important as everyone and everything else is the first step. And I know for many veterinary professionals, they're not even in the equation. Hmm. It's just why. It's just everything and everyone else. And so maybe the first step is putting yourself in the equation and then considering that your well-being is equally as important as everyone else's because like the oxygen mask on the airplane, if you don't get that oxygen, if you don't put your mask on and start sucking that oxygen, you're going to pass out and then everyone is going to have to come and help you. And I think for a lot of us, that's kind of frightening to think about that we would actually be a burden on someone else. But if we're not in the equation, we can only serve for so long before then we do start to deplete the entire system and our capacity to serve goes down and people see that too. And animals, I'm sure, pick that up. Oh, definitely. Mm. We talked a little bit before, um, earlier this episode, about symptoms that introverts might get when they've kind of been overstimulated for too long. And I've sort of heard that referred to as introvert hangover. What are some strategies that we can use to prevent that? And is there any way that we can sort of treat introvert hangover once it's started? So, yeah, a little bit more about an introvert hangover and how to know if you're having an introvert hangover is one thing that you already said, Lauren, is that physical wellness, not feeling physically as well, that might be a sign that you're depleted. Every little thing gets on your nerves. You're kind of irritable. You have a harder time making decisions. You have an inability of thinking clearly after a certain point. You just, you're over. And, and this can be from stimulation that's either social. It could be emotional stimulation. It could be mental stimulation. Like mental would be when you've gone from case to case to case to case. And just your, your thinking mind is just exhausted. So you can't think clearly. Uh, your speech could even change, or you might not be able to think of words that you want to use. Uh, you're tired. You just feel fatigued. You can't focus or you zone out. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, where, where are you? You know, <laughs> where did All you disappear time. to? <laughs> you know, yeah, you're just like kind of zoning out. <laughs> Um, that anxiety you talked about, JJ, this kind of sense that I want to flee or freeze here. And freezing mm-hmm. could be kind of that zoning out. Fleeing could be like, I'm just going to go sit in my office with the door closed or go sit in the bathroom, or I'm just going to go outside and sit in my car. So that anxiety comes up. You might feel a little depression too, like, especially if you're being questioned about it, or you think there's something wrong with you or you're broken. It's like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just do this differently? Uh, I'm flawed in some way, which of course creates a sense of depression and despair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're not acting like your normal self, it may be part of an introvert hangover. No more chit chat. You just can't do that chit chat anymore. And if you think about your day at work, probably there's a lot of chit chat in there. It's expected of you. It's the way you connect with your clients and uh, maybe even your team is the chit-chat. And introverts really crave a a more in-depth conversation, a more thoughtful, meaningful form of communicating. So the chit-chat could lead to an introvert hangover and having to do that all day, every day, which might be part of your workday. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then just that intense feeling that I want to be alone. I just need to escape this somehow. And it can almost be a physical sensation like butterflies in your stomach, which is part of that 
uh, fight, flight, or freeze. So those are all signs of of the introvert hangover, or, or maybe even the symptoms that you would experience. Uh, and so just like with a regular hangover, it takes time to recover from that. And so for an introvert, that's going to mean time, quiet time, uh, de-stressing time, maybe just like sitting down and watching Netflix for a while, binge watching something for the whole weekend, you know, just completely checking out of the Mm -hmm. situations that are creating all the stimulation. So uh, time alone or maybe with one other person. Sometimes it might be outside, um, maybe walking your dog for an hour, something that you can completely disconnect. Any hobby that you have, you know, that really takes you out of, of this and puts you in the flow. A lot of introverts are very creative in different ways. Um, artistically writing, singing, maybe hobbies they have. So finding something like that, that re-energizes or refreshes you, making sure that you get enough sleep, uh, good nutrition and nourishment, plenty of water. So taking care of your physical body. So it, it, it is kind of like what you would do after a hangover of overindulgence of alcohol or something else, right? (laughs) That you just need that time and that quiet. And for introverts, it's really about solitude. And that's, again, hard to do and hard to ask for depending on what your situation is, but it's vital to dealing with so that you can go back in the next day or the next or that or Monday after a weekend and be there, show up. Yeah. I think just naming a lot of these things is going to be important though. Yeah. Say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's why I feel that way. It, it, and uh, it's kind of a relief to know that you're not alone. Yeah. You're not mm-hmm. crazy. There is a name for this. And there are things that you can do to support yourself. So it's mm-hmm. not hopeless. Yeah. Um, what advice would you have for uh, maybe uh, maybe veterinary employees that are, are listening to this and they're saying, OK, um, you know, I'm supposed to to speak up for what my needs are, but they're maybe a little bit concerned that they might get, I mean, yelled at uh, about, you know, for expressing those needs, but they still need to kind of do it anyway. Uh, Do you have any advice for how to sort of approach that without um, being afraid or maybe even without reacting negatively if someone does get upset that you need, that you have needs as a person? (laughs) Right. And this is going to be a two-part answer. Okay. One part, the first part is you identify that you have these needs or that these things would be helpful for you. So look at what your strengths are and what you bring to the team, what your role is, what your responsibilities are, and then what do you bring to the team? And so framing it in a way that I want to be my best at work and I want to do the best possible job I can here. And these are the areas that I really am strong in, that I'm capable in, and uh, here's what I can offer you. And so you frame it in a way that you look at what you really do contribute and that you care about being there and you want to contribute and do your best. So here are the things that will be supportive of me in doing that for you so that I can offer you my best. And so if it's Maybe not something in your job description. See if there's a way that you could shift things around, if that's something that you're going to ask for. Uh, So framing it in a way that it's not that I can't do this anymore, or here's what I need from you in order to be able to do this, but I know I can be successful in these ways, and here's how you can support me in that, because I want to contribute my best here, and I'm committed to that. If you're in an environment, and hopefully, and we can talk more about this, but if you're in an environment where you're not feeling safe to say that, that to me is a red flag. Yeah. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of people, but that's another part of the information that you need to have to consider if you're in the right work environment. And I know right now from what I've heard, and I'm, you guys know better than I do, there's a, there are a lot of opportunities for veterinary staff and techs to shift the environment they're in if it's not, and even veterinarians right now. Mm-hmm. If it's not really going to be supportive. So you can try saying, 
here's what I've realized about me. Here's what I realized would be most supportive of me so that I can provide and offer you the best I possibly can. Because what we're working toward here in this clinic is to offer the best services to our clients and patients, right? Can we all agree on that? Hopefully. Yeah. So here's how I can help you do that. And here's some things that I might need. What do you need from me? So making it more, and I know this is, I'm taught, I know this might sound ideal to people and they're thinking, there's no way I could ever do that. Okay, well, there's the information. (laughs) If you don't feel like you could ever do that in this clinic or in this situation, okay, take a deep breath, see what you need to be successful and as healthy as possible in this environment. Does that also include looking at maybe making a different choice? Yes. I think it does. <laughs> I bye. <laughs> I think it does. And that's not easy. No. But we're looking at sustainability in the profession. And so many people are stepping out or in one way or the other through substance use, they're disengaging, right? Through anxiety, through um suicide. We don't want people to be stepping out that way. We want to create a sustainable culture, sustainable profession. And so that might mean that you change. Okay, somebody just rang my doorbell, so we're going to okay. stop. <laughs> Don't, no worries. I forgot to tell you guys, the other thing that's changed is I got a dog. You got a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and he's barking because Surprise. somebody rang my doorbell. What 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 type of dog do you have? Rio, come here. Rio, come. He's a terrier. Oh my goodness, a a border terrier. Oh, I just threw the dog out. How how dare you have a dog on a veterinary podcast? (laughs) Completely unreasonable. Um, So we've never had that problem before. Yeah, (laughs) not our own animals screaming in the background ever. It's a Sunday afternoon. Who's ringing my doorbell? I'm an intro- introvert. How dare you ring my yeah, doorbell? Do not come to my house. My doormat literally says, go away. <laughs> go away. On the same topic as what we were just talking about with that. I kind of tried to do a little bit of a, uh, it was like when I was kind of taking a break from being a tech and I was trying to think of ways like, how can I stay in the profession? And omit the things that I just really can't do anymore. Uh, And one of those things is like, I mean, exam rooms, I hate everything that goes into the exam room. Can't stand it. And it's just because I've been doing it too long, I think is part of it. But like, it definitely, the introversion part plays a big factor because that's where I'm doing the most client interaction. I'm trying to do education. And I mean, I'm, I'm, it's an important spiel, but I'm tired of the spiel and I, I'm tired of like the reaction I get from the spiel. And, you know, if I feel like I fail with getting the client to do what I'm supposed to get them to do, then I feel like the, the, the doctor I'm working with maybe is like judging me or considering me. Anyway, it's the whole thing. So I was trying to think of the things like, what are my strengths? I, my strengths are in the details. I will make sure that any anesthesia record that I touch is filled out to the utmost, I leave nothing left behind. I enjoy doing things like that. I enjoy doing dentistry. I enjoy doing, I enjoy doing anesthesia. I enjoy doing inventory stuff. I enjoy, I mean, controlled drugs make my butthole pucker, but I enjoy doing, you know, keeping up with it and making sure that all the little, the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, all that stuff. So I was like, how can I put some of those aspects into a job that even if I was doing it part time, I'm still in the field, I'm doing things that I enjoy, and I can be an asset. So I kind of came up with a sort of like a make believe job where I'm like, I can do some of these things. I'm not doing office management per se, but helping them doing some of the stuff maybe they don't want to do, doing some of the stuff maybe the techs don't want to do. But it's all things that I would thrive doing, and then I can cut out some of the things that make me completely want to just rip my hair out and be dead inside. And unfortunately, I tried a couple different places and it was a no-go. They basically looked at me as if I had a third head. But I'm like, I don't know if it's because of the state we live in or if it's just 
people aren't ready for that yet, but that was kind of like my my effort. Maybe I should have gone to more than just two places with it, but I got discouraged very easily because it was just like they were like, um, what? No, we need you to do this because we have a hole to fill. And I'm like, but I could be an asset. I feel like I don't know. So that that was just my experience with trying to do that. And I don't know. Things were different then because it was pre-pandemic and everybody's desperate for help right now. I don't know. I don't know if it would be even easy, an easier or even worse to try to do that now. But I don't know what your thoughts were on that. <laughs> you know, I think that is uh, completely self-reflective and thoughtful and you put it together. And I know right now a veterinarian that would give her right arm for a good anesthesia tech. She can't find one. So. I think part of part of this is we're going to have to change the conversation in clinics and in practices. And doesn't it just make logical sense to have people who can thrive and have these strengths doing those things and mm-hmm. the people that love the client interaction doing those things that it doesn't isn't there a business case for that? It makes I think really there is. good business One sense. Think. Yeah. So, but we're not used to that conversation. And JJ, when you went in, they're like, what? You're going to actually ask for what we just need this, you know? Mm-hmm. So, the, and I don't know if it's going to happen how quickly, but the conversation needs to change in the profession around what are we really doing? I know there are veterinarians that don't want to do wellness checks anymore. There are veterinarians that, you know, want to just do one or two things, but not every, not, I don't want to do surgery anymore, maybe, right? But I have to do it because that's part of what we offer in the practice. Well, can you hire a surgeon that really just wants to do surgeries all the time? And then you do these things that you really want. I don't think we've, to my knowledge, I'm not sure how often those conversations happen. So instead of, this is the other thing I'm hoping to do through the Veterinary Hope Foundation as well is instead of looking at each individual, you know, we look at the whole team, the whole organization, the whole unit, the whole organism, and we te- we address every part of it. And instead of pulling an individual out and saying, you need to do this differently or get this help or do this, and the whole organization just keeps going on, it's an organizational issue. It's not an individual issue. So And yet the individuals tend to feel like they're the ones that are broken and need to step out and get fixed. But then we put them right back into the same system that's not functioning maybe in the way that it could, and it needs to be fixed. So we have to take a broader view of it, but that's going to be a complete culture and conversation shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can't really answer your question. I do believe that you're very clear on what you need. And I think that that's totally appropriate to go out and say, here is the added value that I bring to your practice. And there may be more opportunity for that now than there was two years ago. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know. (laughs) More and more, I'm like, it's looking like veterinary medicine might have to be in the rearview mirror. It's just, I know that I can't absolutely cannot return to what I did before. It's just, it's not an option anymore. I just have to figure out what tomorrow looks like, but it is what it is. (laughs) I do think that both veterinarians and veterinary support staff are historically expected to be sort of jacks of all trades in, in the profession. And I've, um, I've even seen recently on veterinary message boards, you know, conversations around, um, you know, these young veterinarians, you know, they don't want to do this and they don't want to do this. And there's like a cultural value in veterinary medicine that you should be able to do all of the things. And I agree that that probably does need to start changing. I'm sure that there are people that are, you know, moderately good at most things, but for myself. And I mean, honestly, the vast majority of people that I've ever encountered, we have like a cluster of strengths and then things that can we legally do them? Yeah. Are we adequate? Yeah. But we don't shine there. And so I agree that instead of saying, 
well, we have to be sure that we offer every single thing to every single person 100% of the time, that it makes more sense to focus on the areas that you have more skill in naturally. And that goes even, sometimes we're really excited and interested in things that we're not good at. And that's mm-hmm. okay. You can be excited and interested about things and not be good at them. I mean, sometimes that happens to me too, but like focusing your practice on the things that you are good at, I think is really important. And it's better medicine for the, for the patients. It's better for the patients. So I'm I'm hopeful that that will become a widely embraced change and that it won't be so off-putting to management or hiring veterinarians to see a resume come in that says, here are my strengths. Here are the things I don't enjoy. And and to not get like such ruffled feathers about like, oh, this person doesn't want to do surgery. They're not a real vet. Or this person only wants to do surgery. Who do they think they are? They're not a specialist or, you know, in every place in between. Like, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It's true. I tickled JJ. <laughs> are you okay. JJ, are you all right? I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. The, you know what you did. What? What did I do? You're not a specialist. Oh, yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I would really recommend that people either read or listen to, uh, you know, Jen Graneman's book, The Secret Life of Introverts. Or the secret lives of introverts, or, or look at her blog, Introvert Dear, just as a place to get a reality check and say, yeah, this fits for me. This doesn't, but this definitely does. And I think it all begins with, and like JJ has already said, and I, I wish I would have read this book 30 years ago. It wasn't around 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the more information and knowledge that we can have about who we are how we best operate, how we're our best selves, what we really need. Even if it's only information that we know about ourselves and never share with anyone else, it still feels helpful and supportive and hopeful. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I know um I know that I I know that I have been having a much better life experience after I really started being honest with myself about what I need and want. And um and what I prefer, for sure. And it's okay. You're not broken. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Funkin, thank you so much for joining us today. We're actually going to record another episode here in just a few minutes that'll air next week. So everybody, be sure to check that out as well. And in the meantime, if you have stories, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. And it's at introverts. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.